rise for our call to worship, which comes from Luke 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those who his favor rests.
as the days grow shorter and the darkness longer, teach us to wait with faithful expectation. In this time of worship, open our eyes and hearts to the Advent blessings in our midst. May every day be a day of gratitude for your compassion and grace. Through the guidance of your spirit, lead each one of us in the pathways that make for peace. In the name of Emmanuel, God with us, we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together as we gather together to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we're happy to have you with us. I'd like to meet you after the service. You are here as a guest, and we do have a gift for you in the lamp with some information on our, our church. The second week of Advent, it's good to be together as we consider the coming of Christ into the world. Isaiah says, the people walking in great darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. Jesus Christ, our light and light. In the name of his power, we worship God together. Let me extend you God's greeting, and then we're going to greet one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Would you greet one another?
God told us about this plan to save the world over 2,000 years ago, right after Adam and Eve sinned. In this cursing of the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The prophets also told us about the coming Savior. Maybe the most famous is in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come thou long-expected Jesus.
following our confession and assurance, uh, we're going to sing one more hymn. And in this Advent season, we've picked hymns that we're familiar with, and we're considering those in light of the texts that surround them. So after we do our confession and assurance, the kids will be dismissed for children's church after we sing our, our final hymn. So let's begin with a responsive reading. Let us praise our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. At Christmas, Jesus came as a baby. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. He came to be made like us. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. He came to save us from our sin. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. He died, rose from the dead, and lives in heaven. He will come again in the second heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. We praise Jesus who came as a baby and will come again. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. I call the confession. When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, he became like us in all things except sin. May we who have been reborn in him be free from our sinful ways, and so we confess our sins to God. We bow your head and pray for our confession. God, you are the God of love, of justice, of holiness, of peace, of righteousness. So often, Lord, all year long, we pursue other things, though. We don't pursue your holiness. We don't pursue your justice. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We fail to see your image in others. And Lord, so often we fail to see your image in ourselves. God, we confess our sin to you. We look at the material world and we think that promises that it offers will be sufficient, that they will be lasting, that they will be eternal, and they're not. When we put our hope in the world, the world constantly shows us that it is not you. It always lets us down. And in the end, nobody but you, Jesus, has died for our sins. So we confess looking for a Savior apart from the Savior that was sent to the world. Forgive us, we pray. Heal us and correct us. Lord, and then open our lips, that our voices may raise high with the angels. And sing your praise to the, to the world that is listening for something more. To our hearts that are waiting and wanting something more. We now take a moment to silently confess our sins. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we read these words as our assurance of parting. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Let's stand and sing joyful, joyful. We adore thee, following song. Uh, the children are dismissed. Follow the play. Sorry, I thought he was done.
grandchildren to follow the plague, the children and worship. I have changed the text, the song coming out of Galatians 5, I'm changing it to uh, the beginning of 5, one, verse 1 to verse 16. Let me first say, before we get into the text, I thank those who decorated the church. We know it's not an easy undertaking. It's uh, beautiful, and uh, those that have been here throughout the week understand the amount of work it takes to put the decorations up, so thank you for those that decorated them. All right, I ask you to have your Bibles open. Galatians chapter 1, we'll look at 1 to 6. Last week we talked about music and music's influence in our life and in our thinking. Can you forward it, Mike? You know, music doesn't just elevate our emotion. Music points us in uh, a right way of thinking, or a wrong way of thinking, depending on the song that you're singing. Uh, and we know uh, the, the essence of music, we know its origin, we have a God who sings over us, over people he loves, people that he's chosen. We know, as I've said, music's power in our own lives as we sing together. And if I'm honest with myself, uh, when you leave the service, if I were to ask you in a few days what I preached on, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know. But you remember the songs. I'm okay with that because the sermon is a meal. I mean, if I were to ask you what you ate four or five days ago, you'd be like, I don't know. But you eat for nourishment. And so I preach God's word to you for nourishment. And you know when you're well nourished or not. We as a body of believers are well nourished or not. But it's the songs we keep singing. Even this morning, songs we've already sung will be in our minds. But I hope to well nourish you with these words before I do them in prayer. Jesus, as we consider this morning, uh, Lord, words of songs, the impact that it has upon us, the theology it teaches. Might we know more of you? Might we love you more fully? Might you have joy in our response? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, <coughs> I'm actually going to compare two songs. The song we just sang, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, is going to be the foundation of what I'm saying this morning. But I want to set it in contrast to another song that we often sing, which has terrible theology. The title of that song is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And we laugh. You know the words. But the problem is, if you transpose those words, say metaphorically, towards God, we have a problem. Because by nature, we are naturally moralists. In every religion in all of the world, Aside from Christianity, is a merit-based religion. Asking yourself the question, have my good deeds outweighed my bad? Have I been good enough for God to save me? And that's the question we ask when we're not walking with God, when we let go of the gospel. And so we'll sing a song, like Santa Claus is coming to town, and you know, it's about Santa, but indirectly we're like, yeah, that's how I think about God. That's a problem. So let me just compare these two. We sing these words, and maybe you've already sung them this year. And if you do sing them, fine, but know what you're singing, okay? As a matter of fact, I went through the lyrics with my daughter the other day, and she's like, that's just creepy. <laughs> Consider this. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you. I'm telling you why. He is making a list, and he is checking 
<coughs> yeah, Mission Santa, right? And you see the carryover here. He knows if you've been bad or good, <coughs> so be good for goodness sake. I mean, there's so much theologically wrong with this song. Like, what is goodness sake? Okay? The God of goodness? I mean, we're saying, for goodness sake? Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Hmm. Well, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not come. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. We are moralists. We are. And maybe we're seasonal moralists. I'm just good enough. I just do the right things. Whoever's watching me sleep, whoever's watching me walk away, I'll get my reward. And what we think about with God is very similar. We think that God, in his list that he keeps, then we can either pay him off and say, yes, I've sinned. My sin is big. God, how can I pay for it? How, how can I buy you off? Or, if we understand a partial gospel and we say, yes, Jesus has come and died for our sins, how can I pay him back? That's not the gospel either. The gospel is there is a list. Paul tells us that there is a record that is kept of our life. But what's happened at the cross Jesus went and he shattered the record. The record that stood against us has been destroyed in Christ. It's been done away with. Never to be read again. Never to be seen in Christ. He who did no sin took our sin. He became sin for us. Our record of sin was placed on him and shattered. And there's nothing to look upon except for Jesus who shattered the record of sin that stood against us. We learn a lot from Songs and our minds are attracted to the moralistic ones because that is how we defaultly think apart from Christ. So the passage I'm going to look at this morning, I could have picked any section of Galatians 5, and I decided to pick the first section because of what Paul's tackling in the church at Galatia. He's <clears throat> presenting this letter to a group of Christians who received the gospel joyfully. They received it. Maybe you remember receiving the gospel for the first time. I, I get this. Jesus died for my sins. I made right with him. But then you had what were called Judaizers, those that were pressuring the church to conform to Jewish ceremony and Jewish law, basically saying, if you do these things plus Christ, you'll be saved. And we know the gospel is Christ plus nothing. But you have these Judaizers coming in, trying to make the church moralists. And we know we're naturally attracted to that, so Paul rebukes what's happening there. Let's consider his words here for a moment. Paul wrote, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, so again, I'll get into this, but this represents the whole homicide uh, law. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. A lady wrote a while back this short account of her Christmas celebration, and she said this. She said, on our tree, there's a small
small white envelope that we stick between the branches. I always peek through the branches of the tree year after year. This all began, she said, because of my husband, Mike. He hated Christmas. He didn't hate the meaning of Christmas, but the overspending, the frantic running around in the last minute, the gifts given in desperation. Knowing how he felt, I decided to do something different for him. Our son, Kevin, was wrestling at the junior high school. Shortly before Christmas, his team uh, uh, played a team that was sponsored by an inner city church. Those youngsters from that church were dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together. In sharp contrast, our boys were in their nice blue and gold uniform and sparkling new wrestling shoes. And as the match began, she wrote, I was alarmed to see that the other team's boys were wrestling without headgear. It was a luxury, a luxury, obviously, that they could not afford. We ended up beating them very badly. As each boy from the other team got off the mat, though, he swaggered in such a way with his tatters, it was like street pride that couldn't acknowledge defeat. My husband Mike shook his head and said, I just wish one of those boys would have won. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this can rip the heart right out of their head. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to that inner city church. <clears throat> Christmas Eve, I placed an envelope on the tree, not telling Mike what I had done, but this was my gift to him. His smile was the brightest thing that Christmas morning we opened the envelope. Each Christmas after that, she wrote, I sent Mike's gift money to a different group. One year, sending a group to uh, youngsters with mental disabilities, to a hockey game, another year giving a check to elderly uh, brothers who uh, home had burned down the week before Christmas. We eventually lost Mike to cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was so wrapped up in the grief that first year, I barely got the tree up. But on Christmas Eve, I again placed the envelope between the branches. And in the morning, each of us, me and my children, we all placed the, uh, an envelope of our own there for our dad. We do get wrapped up in Christmas, right? Not only in the, the bad theology of our cultural Christmas, but just in the chaos. <clears throat> the chaos of consumerism, of pursuing other gods, if you will. We forget our call to extend Christ to the world. And we sing our hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. But what do these words mean? And they can only mean something if we're grasping the gospel. So we've been in Iowa about roughly 14 years. And, uh, and I'll be honest, after 14 years, I do think, and maybe my memory's wrong, but I think the Iowa winners are more bitter than the Wisconsin ones. And bitter, I just mean cold. So we always had more snow. But I think there's something with fields outside of town where the wind gets a runway. I mean, we cannot keep stuff on our front porches without a falling temperature. It's amazing just how bitterly cold it is when the wind just blows, you know? Have you been outside on one of those winter cold mornings and you're trying to walk in this wind? And sometimes, like, you've got to lean forward and it just gets so bitterly windy. In one sense, this is what the believers in the Galatia region were facing. Again, they received the gospel message of Christ with joy. They knew the way they were to walk, but the winds were bitterly blowing against them, trying to get them to conform back with the world, back into a moralism trying to push them away from the full victory of Christ, 
trying to earn God's favor with good works, essentially pushing them into the songs we sing. Not the gospel that they were being pushed towards, but it was away from the gospel. Christ had made them free from the bondage of sin, not to go back into what Paul tells us. And as we consider this Advent season, the birth of Christ, he is one who came to make his people free. And in that freedom, he brings great joy. And it is this good news that we've received. And when we grasp the message of Christ, when we internalize it, when it becomes part of who we are, then we approach the hymn we just sang with these words. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. This is gospel good news. All thy works with joy surrounding. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee. Center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain. Flowery meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain. Call us to rejoice in thee. That's the gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that points us back to him. Now, Paul had made it very clear to the Galatian believers that it is Christ plus nothing, but the winds were blowing hard against them by the Judaizers. Judaizers, we just say the moralists, those that are trying to earn something from God or buy something from him or control him by their actions. It's what we do. It's what we do when we forget the gospel. Pushing them back towards the Santa Claus of moralism, if you will. The old covenant law-based system. Not understanding that Christ has fully freed you, the push was to go back to try to earn right standing with God. And Paul basically says, you keep your feet firmly planted in Jesus. Even if the wind blows, if your feet are planted in Jesus, you will not be moved. He says this in the beginning of our passage. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You know, it is like it's just a busy, busy season. If you have kids right now that are in grade school or high school, this last week has been a whirlwind of concerts, shows, and I can imagine, like, I give credit to you all that teach, and staff at schools. You guys are like there 24 hours a day. But just to illustrate, like, we need rest. Not only rest from the chaos of life, rest from trying to be good enough for God, and Christ has come for that freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, Paul says. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Hear the next stanza. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest, Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. The last stanza there. Mortals, join the happy chorus. We mortals joining the angels. Which the morning stars begin. 
Father love, Father's love is reigning over us. Brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. We have this victory in the wind that's blowing. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us somewhere. In the triumph song of life. So I ask, where are you standing? Ultimately, where are you resting? Do you stand and rest in the victory of Christ? Are you trying to add to it or, or pay him off and control God? The God who cannot be controlled. I read this recently. There was a small boy who was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he wanted. And here were his theology is this morning. He wrote this. I have been good now. After he thought about it for a moment, he crossed up six months and he put three months. After a pause, he changed it again. He said, two weeks. <laughs> and there was another pause, and he just erased the whole thing. And finally, the boy got up from the table. He went over to the, the, the little nativity scene that Tom had set up. And he took Mary. He started to write again. He said, dear God, if you want to see your mother again. <laughs> We think we can control God by what we do or don't do, and we miss the gospel. We miss what Christ has done, that he has freed us once and for all completely from the bondage, not only of the law, but of our sin, the penalty of our sin. He has freed us. He has fulfilled the law in our place by doing what we could not do, taking the penalty on the cross as if it was his own sin and putting it all to death when he was put to death, and rising again free without our sins and newness of life. That is what he has saved us from. But what has he saved us to? An ESV study Bible says this, Christ has set us free from the Jewish ceremonial laws and regulations, but not from obedience to God's moral standards. So one way to think about this, he has freed us the laws that were set in place to make one right with God by fulfilling the law for us, but he hasn't done away with it. He has now given us freedom to freely obey, to look at his word and say, yes, Lord, this is the life you called me to. And we mess up. We sin. But when we sin, we're not like, God, i got to pay for it now. i I, I got to have some reparation for what I've done to somebody. We don't do that. We say, Jesus, you have forgiven me of all things. We repent and we get back up and follow God again. And we hear these words, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. When we get that, we're able to sing these words. Let's read it again. Thou art giving and forgiving. Ever blessing ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Do you know this God, the ocean depth of happy rest? Do you know that? Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live and love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Come back to the problem. The second point of three here. This is the Christ who produces freedom and joy in us. And he does this again to 
Allah was completely obeying. But is your seeking your right standing with God through your obedience? Which part of the law are you going to choose? But here's the, the, the dilemma that Paul presents to the Galatian believers. He says, if you're seeking your salvation for right standing before God the Father by your obedience to the law, it's all or nothing. If you're not receiving Christ who's fulfilled it for you, you're trying to earn your own salvation, it's all or nothing. Here what he says in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, there's nothing wrong with the practice of circumcision. You're very clear of that. That's ancient Egyptian covenant practice. God uh, gave that to his people. That's the covenant sign. The sign obviously representing a, a bloody uh, sacrament, a, a bloody uh, image of what had to be done for a person to be made right with God, done with your hands on, uh, on, on the body. It represented the old covenant. And in the New Testament, we have the new covenant sign of the seal, which is baptism. Again, signifying that uh, he is our God and we are his people. But the, the image is different. Now we have the washing away of sins. Christ, who shed his blood as the final sacrifice, he was cut, and now we're washed, we're cleansed. The difference between the two signs highlights the difference between what the Judaizers were trying to enforce and what the Galatians were taught by Paul. And if you just think about circumcision and what the Judaizers, the Judaizers were saying, again, this outward sign done on the flesh by hands, the cutting away that was bloody. The author of Hebrews says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Have that outward sign, that reality, involving pain, but pointed us to our responsibility before God for living right. When we live wrong, we're reminded that a sacrifice had to be made. But then you have baptism, which is this bloodless right, reminding us that bloodshed for sin had been done once and for all, that Christ has come, shed his blood forever, was raised, no more sacrifice, he was the final sacrifice to be offered. Again, baptism shows this by the washing, the renewal, the cleansing of what Christ does in the believer's life. Our salvation is rooted fully and forever only upon what Christ has done, and baptism displays this. It's the inward sign of the outward reality of who we are in Christ. Paul says this in Romans. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in, uh, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But then you have the moralists. Come along to the church and say, yeah, Jesus is good, what he's done is great. But you have some things to do, too, to make yourself right with him. There are rules to follow to be made right with God. And Paul says, no, Christ has done it all. He's the final sacrifice. And if you think by adding circumcision to your life to be made right with God, it gives you better standing, you've just thrown out the whole gospel. Again, hear what Paul says. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now we have a problem. We jettison Christ for moral obligation, 
You got to keep it all. Not from this point on, but even before this point. Have you kept it all before this point? Are you able to keep it all beyond this point? And our answer is the dilemma, because we know the nature of sin. And we say, no, I am unable to do this. Paul says, now you're getting it. Someone has been able to do this. Someone who was born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago to a virgin kept all of the law in your place for you. And he's given you his righteousness. And he's taken your sin. It's Christ or nothing. Paul reminds the Galatian believers this. You who are severed from Christ, you would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. Don't fall away from grace. You can't keep the law on your own. In Christ, it's all been paid. He's freed you. Now go freely obey him. Freely apply the word to your life. In application, let me make one thing clear. The Galatian teachers uh, were being led astray by Judaizers, these false teachers, moving people away from the grace of Christ. And it really is no different than us singing saying about this coming encounter. I want you to be aware of that. It's the power of songs, the words that we take in, and how we apply them to our theology. We view God as this omniscient dictator is making sure we get it right. And if we don't, we get cold. Now, I don't want to excuse covenant blessings and covenant curses. That is part of the deal. That's not what I'm saying. We do not earn anything from God. It's Christ alone who has earned it for us. This brings me to my last main point this morning. Christ produces joy in us because he makes us so at this point, I want to kind of dig into the hymn just a, a little bit here before I wrap it up. First, let me say this. Paul proceeds to tell the Galatian church this. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Christ that unites us back to a right relationship with God the Father. He's the one that restores us. He's the one that points us now into the right way to live. And then we come to the words of Christmas carols we sing, the good ones with good theology that reinforce this gospel message. Just a couple minutes on this carol. The author of the carol, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore These Man, uh, Henry Van Dyke, he was a hymnologist. He wrote lots of hymns, but his story is just fascinating. Van Dyke was born in Germantown, Pennsylvania on November 10th of 1852. He became a Presbyterian minister. By those who stood under his pastoring and his preaching, he was considered a fine minister, is what some of the records said. He ended up serving as moderator for his denomination. From 1900 to 1923, for those 23 years, he also served as professor of literature at Princeton University. During World War I, Henry Van Dyke became a chaplain for the U.S. Navy. And there he was appointed by President Wilson as an ambassador to Holland and Luxembourg. This is a full life for a minister. And during his whole career, he wrote hymns. And again, the most prolific one that we know is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Henry wrote this, uh, this little segment about that hymn. He wrote this. 
you, Dorothy. <clears throat> these verses are these verses are a simple expression of common Christian feelings and desire in this present time. Hymns of today that may be sung together by people who know the thought of the age and are not afraid that any truth of science will destroy their religion or that any revolution on earth will overthrow the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, these are hymns of trust and hope. I love this eschatology. If we're missing something, I think, in our day and age that really Christians have. Regardless, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Displays for us the glorious gospel-centered words as we talk about the God that saved us. And even the interplay of words that he chose in this hymn of, of the God that created the world, that manifested himself in this world by the creative nature of his spirit, he uses these words. He's like, here unfolds here the flowers before thee. Right? He's using similes. He's reminding us of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day after day pours out speech. Night after night reveals knowledge. And he's like, he unfolds like flowers before thee. The second stanza, we see all of creation declaring God's glory. We're reminded that we, as part of his creation, are made to give glory to God as well. And this Christmas hymn ends with the invitation to all believers, an invitation for all God's children, not only to hold to the death and resurrection of Jesus, but to join the chorus of all time, of all history, with the angels that began in creation to sing together the glory of God, and so find our hope, our joy, and our encouragement in Christ. Alone. So in a very similar sense, this is what Paul is doing with the church in Galatia. He's reminding them of the joy and the hope that they have in Christ, while the world calls them to sing a different tune. He's like, no, this is the tune to sing. Of the glory of Christ, of the freedom of Christ, of the joy we have in Christ alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood against Hitler, wrote these words just before his execution. Should have had him on the screen, but just listen. Right before he was to be executed in his prison cell, he wrote this. He said, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has been opened from the outside. He said, this is not a bad picture of Advent. I mean, he's writing about Advent. He's like, I'm in chains. The door's locked. But it's not locked. It's been opened by Christ from the outside. And this is the picture of Advent. This is the Christian life. Freedom no matter what your situation is. We're in Christ through faith. And that makes us free. Let me wrap this up. Are you living in the Advent freedom Christ has brought or are you approaching God with a different standard? Are you focusing on the morality of the Christmas season to be right with whoever the God is in the heavens? Or do you know this Christ that has set you free? Do you feel like you better watch out, you better not pout? Or do you feel free to rejoice and rest in Christ? Christ has set us free. The other thing that this has got to make us aware of is that false teaching is sneaky, right? So here you go through the actual just think how slowly and how subtly this stuff can work its way into even a congregation. And I've said this before, like, as Reformed people, we have the doctrines of grace. We know these truths. We know that we're set free by Christ alone. 
we know these grace-centered truths, but so often we fall to moralistic thinking. We better watch out, we better do it right. So slowly it creeps in, and we have to be on guard, standing firmly in Christ. We must not forfeit the great freedom that Christ has given. And when we grasp this freedom, we're able to sing joyful joy. Jesus, you are good. In the chaos of the Christmas season, the frantic purchasing of gifts that put so many people in debt. So often they already think they're in debt to you. Show us you the freedom that you've given. We celebrate, Lord, so often for the wrong purposes. Lord, give us eyes to see. This Advent season, the reason why you come into the world. And might we rejoice with our families of what you've brought, of what you're holding until the end, and what we'll see fully in the coming world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Just real quick before the offering is taken, um, first of all, uh, on behalf of the deacon and council, I just want to thank you all for your continued giving towards this church and all the ministries presented before you. Um, we very, very rarely have concern about our finances and, and where we're at as a church. Uh, and so, so we thank you for, for that blessing um, as you continue to give for ministries here. For the offering today, um, since we usually take one, uh, one offering or have one container pass, I just want to make it very clear the first offering is for uh, Christian education through the general fund. Uh, that we like to support very well. Secondly, for the Liberian and Ivory Coast through Church Rebuilding Ministry, make two verbal announcements prior to today is in your, your bulletin. Um, and so we just want to make sure the second container going by will be for the Liberian Ivory Coast Ministry. And then to know that any time in the future, if you forgot today, if you put uh, your gift in an envelope or uh, put a, um, on your memo of your check, you know, Liberia, it will get to the, to the right fund for this ministry.
pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you now that we've been able to give up our offering, our response back to you, Lord God, of being able to respond back. And I ask that our response be consistent with an offering of our songs that we sing, but all throughout the week that we're considering you in our places of employment, with our families, our friends. How we always be responding out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving for what you have done, Lord Jesus. So we pray blessing on this offering, both for the general fund and for the Liberia Church Commission as churches are continuing to be built there furnished. We thank you, Lord, for the contribution you've allowed us to make to participate with the work that you're doing in Liberia. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this Advent season and all the events that this entails. I thank you for the kids as they prepare for the program here and after the service. Would you be with them as they prepare to minister to us in the congregation next week? Lord. We do lift to you Kayla's family with the passing of her grandfather, Bill Renz, and ask for peace upon their family. Carolyn Wilson, as she recovers now from her foot surgery, I ask that you be with her in the days ahead as she has to be put out with her foot, Lord, that it would heal properly and fully. Lord, we praise you with Carla and Logan, welcoming into this world their new baby, Calvin. Lord, we ask for blessing to continue their family. For Glenn Summers, we pray that you would watch over him, Lord, and help We pray, Lord, for our former pastor, Jim, and his wife, Winnie, now that Winnie has been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. We ask for your grace to be clear to her in ways maybe that she's never seen before. So we would pray for healing upon her body, and that would be your will as well. Watch over them in these days ahead. For Ruth Pibble and others who are homebound in many ways, we ask that you be with them in their age. Speaking words of comfort and joy to them in only ways that you can. We pray for Tom, Tom and Barb Voss as they are now with their daughter who broke her leg. We ask for healing upon her leg. Strength for Tom and Barb as they care for the kids. Lord, we thank you for our church and the many ministries that you've given to us as a church. For the caroling that we were able to do last week. The joy that was brought to those in assisted living. The joy that was brought to us, Lord, as we could sing these songs. I do pray for those here this morning, Lord, who enter this season of Advent. Not with joy, but with much grief and sadness. This may be the first year they are without a loved one. Or it may be many years removed from the pain of the season and overwhelming. Lord, we ask that your joy would overshadow that pain. Lord, remind us all that, Lord, our life is like mist. One moment we're here, the next we're gone. Soon we will be with you, with those that have trusted you all together. Help us keep our eyes focused upon you as we live this life. Lord, we do pray for the leaders of this nation, our president, our vice president, for the cabinet, give them wisdom. In all the chaos that we see politically, Lord, help us stand removed because we serve a king who is king of kings and lord of lords. Removed in the sense that we belong to another place, but yet living faithfully in this place now that you've placed us in. Might we shine a different light, a light that resonates through all generations, so in the chaos of our culture, might we make Christ known. The way we live, and the way we do our jobs, and the way we vote, the way we raise our kids. Like the perspective of Henry Van Dyke, Lord, we sing together with the angels because you are at work in this world. This is your history, coming to a pointed end. When you come again, standing, Lord, in the new heavens and the new earth, and we see you face to face, all the nations come to you for counsel, Lord. We worship you together on that day, very physically, 
set list that we're doing that even now together in that spiritual way with those that have gone before us, the angels who are in heaven. And might, us, might we not miss your rule and reign even now? We pray for our leaders. We pray for the leaders of the nations around this world. We ask that there would be peace. We pray your will be done, Lord. We pray for the missionaries and mission agencies that support the work that they're doing. I pray that you would be with each of us, Lord. Might our joy and hope be found in you alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. Just a couple of announcements before we have our benediction. Uh, so we do have our ESV class. As we, we're transitioning from uh, our old Bibles to uh, reordering of our new ones. We've had our first class last week. If you didn't attend it, you're welcome to join us for the class that we have this week, our final class. Or if you have any questions beyond that, ask me. Or ask one of the elders. We'd be glad to answer some of those questions. One of the questions I have gotten is, how do I order my own personal ESV Bible? And so you can do that. I mean, you can do that online. There's multiple ways to order it. But what we're going to do, uh, you'll see listed in the bulletin at the bottom of the first page, uh, the announcement of ordering. And there's also a website from Westminster Bookstores. So through the month of December, all their Bibles are 50% off. They'll let you look at the different uh, options that you have for study Bibles, um, scrolls, MacArthur's, whatever, ESV's own study Bible. And then we're going to do a group order from the church if you want your own uh, within this month, probably in about two weeks. So let me know, let me know which ones you want. Uh, and also with your money paying for it. Especially if you'd like to buy them all your own. today with these words from Psalm 72. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. 